Good evening to each one of you. I was grateful this morning that I did not have to skate to your church here. Um, we're on the ice. Uh, we have a church that also has members spread quite a distance. In fact, one of the members recently figured out that on a Sunday morning, the cumulative kilometers that are driven to come to church is the same as one person driving to Wisconsin. Um, about 1,300 kilometers or so uh, as people come together. So it, it kind of puts it into perspective whether we should cancel or not when you realize that many kilometers are being put on in a morning. <clears throat> well, I do greet you in Jesus' name this morning, or this evening. It is good to be back here again. It's been a while, like 20 years or so for myself. Uh, for those who don't know what I'm talking about, um, starting at about six months of age, our family made annual trips to Maranatha Bible School where my dad, Howard Bean, uh, was uh, often an instructor in administration. And uh, in that time at Maranatha, it often included a trip to uh, a Prairie Mennonite church. So I have memories of this place. Um, and, and good memories. Uh, the congregation often reminded me of my church back home. Uh, sort of the size was similar, um, just sort of some of the dynamics that I remember 20 years ago. But as I, as I look out over the congregation, I, I see times, times do change. Uh, times have changed in my life. I, I come now as a, uh, as a husband, as a father, uh, my wife Corlene and our three children. Uh, are not here with me tonight. They regret that. Um, institutional living takes a bit of a toll on a family, and we're, we're feeling that toll uh, this afternoon, and it just seemed wise to, to maybe uh, stay home tonight. Um, time has brought change to this congregation. I look out among you, and I, I, uh, I'm surprised how few of you I know. Uh, but it's good to see a, a growing family. There are also some faces missing. Uh, probably most noticeably is, is Brother Arnie uh, in, his, in his recent passing. Times, time brings change. But God and his word do not. And I invite you to turn into his word, the unchanging word, to Galatians 5 this evening. <clears throat> Brother Larry this morning was speaking from Galatians 5 and I plan to speak here briefly tonight from Galatians 5 before looking at several other passages as a preschooler I enjoy doing an exercise which you might re relate to as well there would often be a on a paper um, different pictures going across the page, maybe four or five different pictures. And you had to identify, maybe circle the one that didn't seem to fit. So there might be a cow, a sheep, a dog, and an ice cream cone. And you had to circle the one that didn't fit. Anyone else know what I'm talking about there? Yeah? Okay. Uh, so I wasn't the only one that did those in preschool. Well, when I come to Galatians 5, I'm tempted to do something similar. In Galatians 5, Paul is contrasting the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And, and in verses 19 to 21, we see the works of the flesh, and he lists them. 
And, and these, are, these are serious sins and, and serious consequences as well. We see uh, at the end of verse 21, these shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, what are some of these, are some of these um, sins? Let's read verses 19 through uh, 21. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told, also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if you were doing that preschool exercise that I t- described before, are there one of these sins in here that, that you might be tempted to circle and say it, it doesn't quite fit or it doesn't seem as though maybe it, it's not as serious of a sin? I don't know if any, any one stuck out to you or not, but the one that I'd be tempted to circle is envyings. Envyings beside Grouped in there with murderers, that's the one that comes right after it. Grouped in there with witchcraft. I can understand adultery will keep you from the kingdom, from inheriting the kingdom of God. But also envy? Isn't it almost expected that we all, to some degree, have a, a green eye, as it's often said? Or maybe you've never even considered if you are envious. The stakes are high. You'll see they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Are you envious? Is there envy in your life? I, I, I was, uh, I, it took me a while to come to grips with what to, to speak on this evening. Uh, the topic is, is one that doesn't come easy for me to talk about, that of envy. And maybe because as I've looked at this topic, I've seen how, how real it is, can be in my life, and is in my life. And it's been something that I've had to, to repent of. So three questions that I'm going to ask this evening is, is, what is envy, first of all? Why should we care about envy? And third, what should we do about it? We're going to be looking not in Galatians, but in Proverbs and in Psalms. I'm invited to first turn to Psalms 73. We'll be flipping back and forth between Proverbs and Psalms. We'll start in Psalms 73. And I'm going to read one verse here. <clears throat> We're answering the question first off here, what is envy? If it's as serious as I'm describing here, we better know what we're talking about. Psalm 73, verse 3, reads, For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And the word that I'm really getting at here is that of prosperity. We're envious when we see someone, or we may be envious when we see someone who is prosperous. Now, how might you be prosperous? Probably the first thing we think of is financial. Accumulation of land and property, uh, maybe mortgages paid off, um, bulging bank accounts. And that could be one way that you're prosperous. But there's other ways that you can be prosperous or someone can be prosperous as well. Maybe prosperous in, in just a very healthy body. Maybe beauty. 
um, or, or just not plagued by, by ills. Um, and and that's, they, they're prosperous in that way. Or maybe someone's prosperous, prosperous in that it just looks like they live a charmed life. Um, they have lots of friends. They have influence. They're well-liked. And you want what they have. You want what they have. Envy is, is wanting somebody else's life. You see they have something better than, than you and they're prosperous. And instead of rejoicing in the good that they have, you're down over the fact that you don't have it. And you focus on that, but it doesn't stop there. It goes beyond simply desiring something someone else wants. We resent their lives. We begrudge their prosperity. When you praise someone, you notice that people are better than you, and you rejoice in that, or, or you, you recognize their prosperity and you rejoice in that. In envy, you resent that. You're, you're, you're angry inside about it. You're not going to probably tell anyone you're angry about it, but inside there's a, there can be a feeling of, of anger. You dislike it. Are you envious? It's not something that we often think about all that much, whether we are envious or not. And when you look for it in your life, don't be surprised if you find it. Let me give you two personal examples. And it's not easy to share about being envious um, because it, it just reveals the, the flesh in me. First example, <clears throat> I'm an optometrist, an eye doctor, and at work, I'm, I'm not the owner of the practice. I'm an associate. There's two owners in the practice and, and then five associates. And when I show up at work, I expect to see my day sheet filled of, with patients to be seen that day. And I have nothing to do with what patients I see in a given day. The staff take care of all that. I tend to have my own patients, but if there's emergencies or new patients, they'll get slotted into one of the five doctors that are there at a given time. Now, certain exams pay better than other exams. So even though they take the same amount of time, one exam, if it's just a, depending on what I'm having to do, will pay four times better than another exam that takes the same amount of time. All right? So at the end of the day, one doctor might make three times as much as another doctor. All right? What I found was going on in my life was I was having a good day at work. It was a fulfilling day. My day sheet was filled, and, and things were going well. I, patients were appreciating what I was doing, and, and, and I really felt fulfilled in, in the job that I was doing. Well, there's a little button on our computer where I can click, and I can see the other doctor's dates. I can see what type of exams they're doing at the same time as I am. And I glance at that list and I see, man, they got the, the well-paying exams here, and I got stuck with the poor-paying exams. And, and suddenly, or that was my perception anyway, and suddenly I wasn't having as good of a day as I was before I looked at their day. And it wasn't only that, but I found that I'd click on that button and I'd actually rejoice inside. Again, I wouldn't have acknowledged this to anyone, but I actually rejoiced inside when I saw patients not showing for that doctor, i.e. they didn't get paid, or, or patients um, 
canceling out. I, I, it almost it felt good inside to see that happening. And I realized that that was envy of the prosperity the, and, and resenting what, what they were uh, experiencing. And it, and it was a joy stealer for me. I'll give you another example that maybe you can, some of you can relate to. Maybe I go to a, a, a neighboring church or, or there's special meetings or even at Maranatha. And someone gets up there and he's eloquent, he's engaged, the audience, he, he's, he, he's connecting with the audience. And, and afterwards, people are commenting, you know, how, how good that sermon was and, and how much they appreciate it. And what can go on inside me is, instead of rejoicing, I, I can actually be critiquing that person and what they were saying, and, and maybe finding weakness in one of his, you know, his third point. Just, it, it could have been better. And, and I'm finding that going on inside me. Incredibly carnal. Um, I, I should be rejoicing in the, in the truth that was shared, rejoicing that people were encouraged and strengthened, and instead my heart is finding fault. Maybe I'm the only one that deals with such things as, uh, as, as I've been describing that of envy. But I doubt it. It may take some searching, soul-searching on your part. Um, and, and what you struggle with is probably different from what I struggle with in this area. Maybe it's your health. Some chronic illness, pain you're suffering from. Maybe some disability. And you look at others, and, and they have no aches. I mean, they can't even remember the last time they took medication. They can't. That, that's just not part of their, their life. And you resent their good health. In fact, finally they get laid up and you think to yourself, man, it's, it's about time they got sick. Maybe it's your family. Your, your children didn't turn out as you dreamed as newlyweds and you, you pictured having a close, connected, uh, model children uh, involved in the work of the Lord and instead you're, you experience tension or distance. And you look at other families and instead, instead of rejoicing in the beauty uh, and the relationships that you see there, uh, you feel bitterness inside. Maybe it's at work. You and a colleague do similar work. But it's, it may even be clear in your mind that you do the better work. But instead of being promoted, promoted your, your colleague actually is promoted. And, and instead of rejoicing in the success of your colleague, you resent them. Something happens inside you whenever you hear praise going to that person and not to you. And, and you're, you're secretly happy when the boss reprimands them for something. Maybe it's relationships. You're, you're envious of that person that is socially liked. Uh, this contagious personality has lots of friends, and all you can find in your heart is a, is a critical spirit. You might even find it easy to spread gossip about, that, about them. You're, you may be envious of them. Maybe it's the farmer down the road. Everything just seems to go right for him. You know, um, he gets his fields planted just before the rain comes, and you don't. He gets his hay off just as the rain begins to fall and your baler is broken um, down right at that, that time. 
his animals stay healthy and you're, and you're succumb to, uh, to illness, to sickness. That, that person might even be an ungodly person, uh, maybe unethical in his business dealings, and yet seems to continue to thrive financially, and you resent his success. Maybe it's in mothering. You're happy. Your day's going well. You've only had two glasses of spilled milk, and the children haven't squabbled too much through the day. And in a spare moment, you, you look on Facebook, and, and there's someone you grew up with has just posted almost looking professional-looking photos of her morning, and, and the children are all sitting nicely around the table eating a nutritious breakfast, and... Uh, and she's describing of some piece of junk that she salvaged and, and it's turned into this beautiful piece of art. And suddenly your day's not going quite so well anymore. It's not quite so bright anymore. You begin to feel sorry for yourself and you resent how successful she is and it gnaws away at you. Envy is being unhappy about other people's happiness but also works in reverse. When people around you fall down, you might even like it. Envy is happy at other people's unhappiness. You know that verse that says, Rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. Rejoice. Envy kind of switches that around where you rejoice with those when others are weeping and you weep when others rejoice. So we've talked a little bit about what is it. I'd like to go on and talk a bit about second point is why should we care about it? Envy, it's, it's not that big of a deal, is it? I mean, why should we really care about it? Well, the Bible says it is a big deal. And why might that be? Why is it a big deal? The first point is, is it hides itself really well in our lives. You know, anger is obvious, to you, usually personally, you know, if you're angry. Um, lust is obvious. Again, it might not have, other people might not be able to see it, but you know inside if you're lusting. Um, but, but maybe not so much with envy. Uh, you don't want to believe envy is, is true about yourself. Um, nobody wants to be accused of being envious. Uh, to be accused of envy is to feel so small and, and shriveled. Uh, so and generous. Um, when, when have you heard someone confess to the sin of being envious? It's it's not it's it's hard to admit that you're envious. We don't want to admit it's true. It's so unloving. First Corinthians thirteen four says, "Love envieth not." But I think it's present more than we often may think. That it or want to admit it in our life. When you take a look at your life and ask yourself, at, at the bottom, at the bottom of my joylessness, is there envy there? You, you, for example, you know a person that that maybe it's at church or work or youth group that that just really irritates you. Um, you really find this person hard to get along with. Um, maybe you're just really critical of that person. You might not say it out loud, um, but, but you find that it's really easy to find fault with them, um, even if you don't verbalize it. They, they just get under your skin. 
could envy be at the root? Or, or maybe another example, are you filled with self-pity, unhappy with the way your life is going, always feeling sorry for yourself, sour about things in your life? Is envy at the root? Here's another test. When people around you, people you like, have a good reputation, have, have, have done well, when they really mess up, is there almost some level of comfort in that? Um, you're not all that sad about the mess up. You, you wouldn't tell anyone that, but you kind of like to hear that, that they, they messed up. Envy rejoices when others weep. So first, why should we care? Well, it hides itself well in our lives. Second reason, it sucks joy out of our life. And it, it really poisons our ability to enjoy life that God has given us. Someone has called it the saddest of sins. And, and many other sins have a, at least momentary pleasure. So anger, it's that release of tension. Um, you know, other sins might have a momentary pleasure. Envy really doesn't at all have any, any momentary pleasure whatsoever. It's draining from its very first moment, and it, it, it poisons our ability to enjoy and be grateful for the things that we've got. It's sometimes been called comparatonitis, where you're, you're comparing others and, and nothing is good enough, whether it's your job or friendships, envy may have you in its grip. Sort of what, one of the quotes that got me pondering this was uh, by Spurgeon, who, who said, who wrote this or said this, I don't know, I have it in written form, if you are not content with what you have, you would not be satisfied if it were doubled. Ponder that. If, if you're not content with what you have now, if you would not be satisfied if it were doubled. And I ponder that because I, I tend to like to think, well, if I just had, you know, debts paid off or something else, I, I, I would be content then. Um, maybe you have thoughts on that. If, he says, again, if you are not content with what you have, you would not be satisfied if it were doubled. And, and as I interact with society, I, the more I think about this, the more I believe it. You know, some of my patients, I, I, I know their profile, um, and I know some of the wealth. I mean, I have some very wealthy patients. And I also know, as I interact with them over 45 minutes, that Oftentimes, some of those really wealthy patients are some of the most dissatisfied or discontent uh, patients that I have. Uh, you might think it's that person that has to work a 16-hour day that is going to be envious of others, but often I find it's the other way around. You see envy in the political scene. Um, is there any grease that lubricates politics more than envy? I mean... They all like to say anyway that, um, that they have different ideas of how, how a government should be run and that they'll run it better, but I wonder how often uh, it's more that they just want to be at the top and uh, 
and, and they push other people down to get there. I also teach at the university and I see envy there. People are backbiting and um, they're, they're envious when someone gets um, their paper published or get, get an award. It affects, I think, all areas, uh, all demographics. Envy poisons our ability to enjoy life. And marketing plays into this a lot in our society. Marketing, marketing is, is there to create, um, well, it can be there to create dissatisfaction. I'm not saying it always is. Um, and, and maybe envy of other people. And I think especially here, we live in a culture that makes us envy the beautiful. And, uh, and what, we're, what we have is a whole class of young people who, who are growing up really hating the way that God created them and, and envious of someone else. Envy, poisons. You know, think of Adam and Eve. They had paradise. They had, it was perfect, right? But it wasn't good enough, you might say. Um, they wanted to be as gods, it says, and they partook. So envy steals our joy and it poisons our ability to enjoy life. Third point, envy bears some very ugly fruit. And scripture indicates numerous examples of people who are envious and, and the ugly fruit that resulted. First example that you might think about is Cain and Abel. And the fruit that bore out of envy there um, was very ugly, uh, that of, of murder. We have Rachel envying her sister Leah in Genesis 30. We have Joseph's brothers envying Joseph in Genesis 37. We have King Saul. It says um, it was out of envy that he turned on David, setting off events that would eventually destroy Saul's family. Haman envied Mordecai and almost, you know, consider the, the genocide this almost um, caused. Matthew 17:18, we read that it was out of envy that Jesus was falsely accused by the religious authorities that sent him to the cross. Matthew 17:18, for he knew that for envy they had delivered him. Envy bears some very ugly fruit. God calls every person he created to live before him, to, to have God the center of their lives. To, for, for your identity to be who, uh, based on who God is, make, uh, that, that God would be your, your chief source of happiness but as sinful human beings, we so, beings, we so we're, we're tend to to put other things where God should be, and so we live before other people's approval. We we live before money or in career and achievement, and we we can't, are so prone to building our identity on other things. And when those other things, when others have those things more than we do, we are filled with envy. Let me give you an example here. Your cousin and you begin farming at the same time with similar operations. 
Um, ten years pass, and it's obvious to, to anyone looking on that his operation is thriving and yours is just so surviving. Okay? So he's, um, you know, accumulated more land and more buildings and more livestock, and, and you haven't. How, how do you feel about this? How, how, what, what are the, the emotions inside you? Well, I'm suggesting here that it really depends on your relationship with God and who God is in your life. If, if you're living before God, if, if he is at the center of your life, your farming is important. You, you're going to work hard. You're going to do the best you can. But you'll still be able to admire those people that are better than you, um, who, have, who have accomplished more than you, and, and you'll be able to rejoice in them. Because God is at the center of your life. And, and that's where you are dr- drawing your, your satisfaction and your purpose in life. If you're living instead of before God, and rather your farm is at the center of your life, and... It's the farm is what is the reason you get out of bed in the morning, the only reason you get out of bed in the morning, and uh, that that is the most important thing to you. Then, if someone else has something better than you do, you're going to be much more prone to to envy them and resent that in their life. What, as you look in the mirror, is there, is there something? Someone, some achievement, some relationship deep down inside you that's, that you're saying, if, if only I had that, then, then I would be significant. I'm suggesting if it's not God, your relationship with God, if it's not knowing that it's God uh, that delights in you, if that's not at the deepest part of your heart, um, you're going to be drained by envy. God needs to be the one that we're living before that is at the center of our being. It's in him we get our significance. So the third part of the message is how do we deal with envy then? And I invite you to turn now to Proverbs 23. We'll be going back to Psalm 73 yet, but Proverbs 23 verse 17 and 18. And we're going to look at two points from this verse, these verses. Proverbs 23:17 reads, Let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. So that's number one. Live in the fear of the Lord all the day long. And second, or 18 says, For surely there is, an, there is an end, and thine expectation or thy hope shall not be cut off. So I'm encouraging us to deal with envy by looking up to God, recognizing who he is, living in the fear of the Lord, and looking ahead, living with hope of the future. Let's talk about both of those here First, living in the fear of the Lord. This does not mean living somehow scared, that sort of fear. 
but it's awe, it's wonder before that magnificence, the magnitude of the Lord, before the beauty of the God of God. In Psalm 73:17, flipping back to Psalm 73 again, we, we see the psalmist in verse three, he's speaking about his envy. And in Psalm uh, in verse 17 of 73, it says, "Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood, then understood I their end." So the psalmist went into the sanctuary, and it seems as though that's when he got his envy under control. He had a, had a sanctuary experience. What does that mean? I, I think it means he worshiped God. He saw God for who he is. He experienced God in Psalm 63. Two, we won't turn there, but again, he's speaking about being in the sanctuary. He says, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. When we get a view of, of who God is, when we treasure him, um, and he becomes so, so significant in our lives, uh, when we live before the fear of God and realize who he is, um, Envy will uh, will will sl- slip away. You know, too often we have such a small view of God. I was ex- talking with the students this last week in chapel about God's greatness. You know, let's picture for a moment that my hand here is is our galaxy, the Milky Way, and. Uh, Inside our galaxy is the solar system, right? And we have the sun and the moon and the planets within here. Now, I can't even mark a dot on my hand representing our Earth because uh, it's, it's too small, all right, for the size of our galaxy. And, and you admit our, our, Earth is a, our world is big, but I can't even put a mark on here representing our Earth. The, the galaxy is so big in comparison to our Earth. Do you know how far it is from this point to this point of our galaxy? Well, to explain that, I need to explain how we measure this, and we measure it in light years. I don't know if how you can get your head around light year. I, I struggle with this. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second. So think about how far 186,000 miles is. Do you have that figured out yet? Have you ever gone on a trip of 186,000 miles? That's around the world seven and a half times. Okay? That's quite a distance. And you do that in one second. Okay? That's the speed that light is traveling at. So if light travels that far in one second, think how far it travels in one minute, one hour, one day, and one year. Once you have that in your mind, you know what a light year is. All right, 186,000 miles per second for over a year. All right, that's a light year. The distance from this point here to this point here is 100,000 light years. Got that figured out? 100,000 light years from this point to this point. That's of our galaxy. That's the size of our galaxy. Well, how many galaxies? Are there like this? Is this the only galaxy? Estimates are out there that there's probably, or conservative estimates, a hundred billion galaxies. 
And God says, this is the work of my fingers. This is, this is the work of my hands. My point is, we so often have such a small view of who God is. The psalmist here went into the sanctuary. He, he got a glimpse of God's greatness. And, and all I'm talking about here is, is just the size of God's handiwork. I'm not even talking about his holiness or his, his other attributes I could be talking about here. The psalmist then in 73, verses 21 to 24, he, he says, Thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. He's, he's feeling, he, he felt, I mean, he's a sinful man. But then he realizes who God is. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. God is for you. God is gracious to you. And, and we know that God is, we can know even better than the psalmist can hear, that God is gracious to us. And how can we know that? Well, because he sent his only begotten son for us. Jesus came to earth to pay the debt that deep in our heart we all know we owe for the wrongs that we have done. So no matter how senseless you've been, if you reach out your hand to the Father, he'll, you'll always find him there for you. We're never forsaken by God as we place our trust in Jesus Christ. And when you realize what God has done for you as your heart swells with gratitude as you get a glimpse of who God is as he becomes the one your life is centered on it won't matter what others others have the, the, the things of life will, will, will start to fade and, and their significance he is the one who gives you meaning, meaning not beauty, not the farm, not your reputation. Unless he is your portion, unless he is the one that most captures your imagination, you're prone to be being eaten up with envy. So, first of all, he looked up and saw who God is, and then he looked ahead to see what, uh, what was ahead. And we see that um, in the end of um, chapter 73. What, what is our hope? The resurrection tells us that we will be resurrected and be forever home. And why do you need to know that? Well, here's why. Our lives on this earth are broken and incomplete. But there is coming a day when he's putting all things back to right. And the complete fulfillment of our deepest desires will be met then and only then are you going to be able to live with the incompleteness of this world when you look ahead and see what is to come. I'd like to read the last part of this psalm here in Psalm 73 again. Remember, it starts out, For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There in verse 3 he says, My feet were almost gone, my steps had well nigh slipped. And then we come down to verse 
23, Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever.